What's good, Podcastville? Thank you for 15 incredible seasons. Big shout out to Sound Reaper Graphics and Blue Canary Auto for five years of consistent support of the Bystander Podcast. I am your host, Tiny Tim, coming to you from beautiful Bainbridge Island, Washington, at some generic time in your day. I'm glad you're here. Please be a friend and tell a friend you heard it on the Bystander and follow us on social media. Now let's get the party started with some intro music from the incredible Leroy Bell. Good podcastville. I'm here with one of my most consistent guests, ex co-host, soon to be co-host again. I hope um, <laughs> historian, teacher, coach, mentor, actor, musician, uh, and let's add to the list of that a friend of mine, Joel Underwood. Good to see you, buddy. Been too long. How you doing? Yeah. Sorry about all this mess up. I got a flat tire and today's been a little that's, tough. Hey, it's life happening, man. That's all right. Yeah. Um, how you been? I've been good. I've been good. I've been, uh, you know, making it through the, the usual. I always say about uh, Western Washington, man, if you can make it through February, you've made it every year. Now sun's starting to come out, starting to get the birds in the morning. I think we've made it through another one. Nice. Yeah. It's surprising when all of a sudden the birds show up, right? Oh, man. So this is you get into the time when we like to live here. It's still cold as can be. I'm scared to start gardening, but uh, let's get out there soon, huh? There you go. Make some green things happen. Hey, as uh, no longer the unofficial political analyst for the podcast, and now the official podcast political correspondent, I would like to get into some world news and, and topics that are going on in this world and. I couldn't think of a better person to have on the show today, and you dig it. Throw 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 stuff around. What do you what do you what do you want to talk about? Gosh, everything. I, okay. I need an update because okay. now I can no longer trust my news sources. You just have to be a, a what a, a critical consumer. There's you know you just have to not not accept any one voice as the voice of God. You gotta you gotta get your news from a lot of places. That's all. Yeah, and that takes time. That so. takes time. That's We're, not yeah. We're going to wrap it up with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, how wise that is. Well, you know, um, I just could not see myself having an hour-long conversation with Tucker. Oh, God. Tucker's, Bill, Tucker's got his own problems. And Bill Maher and uh, Russell Brand, Joe, oh, Joe Rogan. There's a lot of voices out there right There's now. There's a lot. Sean Hannity. Mm-hmm. Um, and but, each of them have their own agenda. Then CNN's gone way downhill as well. Um I don't see the BBC enough mm-hmm. when it comes to media. I, I think there used to be a pecking order in my mind, AP and UPI news sources, and then BBC world news was kind of the people that I trusted the most. 
but I see that UPI and API don't really come through my my regular social feed, I guess mm-hmm. we call it nowadays. And uh, I still respect BBC because they, they have a lot. They take on a lot when it comes to the news. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, everything else seems a little slanted. And um, before we get started, I just want to tell everybody that there's no fact checking on the bystander podcast. <laughs> okay. Get back to that. And, uh, you know, these um, things that we're going to talk about are opinionated. They, they are our opinions. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And uh, not to be taken as fact. Um, and you are to go out there and, and do your own due diligence. Right. But I'm You're, just trying to wrap my head around things I don't understand with this guy smarter than me. And, we are no substitute for, for being an informed public, an informed electorate, doing your own homework. Yeah, you this, know, yeah. This is a hobbyist show. It's not a journalist journalist show at all. Yeah. With that said, uh, apparently there's a war going on in Russia and Ukraine. It's lasting a little longer than we expected. Oh, we knew it was going to last a while. I mean, look as a as a historian, if if you look at Russia in wars, okay. They never have great tech. They're always one war behind on tech. They never have great generalship. They never have – they have one advantage that keeps them in the game, and that is they are basically casualty immune. They have so many people. They just throw people over the wall, young people, old people, poorly trained people. They just assume that they have more guys, and you're going to run out of bullets before they run out of people. And if you look at World War One, Two, Crimea, I mean, th- this goes back historically. And I don't think, yeah, I don't think they've ever pulled out of a war before losing close to half a million people. And they're nowhere near that yet. So they're in for the long haul. Yeah, this is going to take a while. Um. I have some thoughts and ideas about it, um, but I don't know how prolific they are or correct. But it seems like we're tired of other people's wars in the U.S., but we seem to be the biggest weapons manufacturer in the world, and it seems to behoove us to continue to support wars and and sell ammunition and bombs and stuff to other countries and militias and stuff like that. Is there some type of circular process going on where we're funding this war to get more defense contract? Because I know the military is our biggest employer here in America. Yeah, And we're putting out uh, – our factories are putting out five times the amount of shells they were putting out before Russia invaded. So we mm-hmm. have ramped up our our, our – our production. Now, to be accurate, a lot of what we're sending, now I can't speak for the other countries in NATO, but a lot of what we're sending to Ukraine is a lot of stuff we don't use anymore. Mm-hmm. And a lot of stuff we were in some cases going to even destroy anyway. So they're kind of doing us a favor in that regard. Now, they want the good stuff. They're mm-hmm. asking for the for the, the the newest stuff, the newest planes. They really want to control airspace. Um, they really want anti missile defense. But so far, yeah, we we have in fact been supplying them with stuff that doesn't really. In other words, if tomorrow we suddenly needed serious military because whatever China invaded Taiwan, which isn't going to happen, or some, something like that, um, we would not be hurting. For anything. That's mm-hmm. that's true. Now, are, are we is the military industrial complex always looking to self perpetuate like you say? Yes, absolutely. Um, by the same token, 
this is something that Russia kind of always was probably going to do from the moment Putin came in power. And this has got to be shut down because this is Act 1 and Act 2 is really nasty and involves nukes. And that's what we really don't want to happen. If, if, he, if, if Ukraine isn't still standing at the end of this, the next part of this is really bad because Ukraine was always, in his mind, just the first part. Can I get that mic a little closer to you? Yeah, sure, 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 man. Thanks. Um, yeah, where was my train of thought when I got to the mic here? Do you remember when when I was in was uh, when John Ellis and and Tom Chat when we were in here when we were doing the yeah, the play Walk in the Woods? Walk in the Woods? Yeah. There's a great speech that really predicted this in Walk in the Woods. It's John's character. He's he's the Russian uh, arms arms negotiator, and and he says. Um, so this is all about history. What is history? History is geography over time. So you look at the geography of the United States. It's two big old oceans on either side of us that protect us and keep us from having to worry about things we don't want to worry about. Uh, in fact, Abraham Lincoln says it right before the Civil War. Is some European giant going to bestride the ocean and crush us with a blow? No, no European power could put one footprint on the Blue Ridge or take one sip of the Ohio River. It is ourselves that we must worry about. He was prefiguring the Civil War. Now, what's the geography of Russia? Big, long, flat plains on either side that you can roll cavalry and tanks and everything over that just scream, please invade us. Mm -hmm. And throughout history, Mongols, Swedes, Finns, uh, Hitler, Napoleon, everybody has taken them up on that and just rolled on in and tried to roll on in. So you've got now Putin saying, we started this aggression because we didn't feel secure because NATO was encroaching. And the answer to that is, of course, okay, but, but sure, you, you, Ukraine had, has not joined NATO, correct? No, they haven't. But there, see that—that's what I'm talking about. That's why they're just Act One. The, the problem is, there the Russian definition of security is they need to control all those flat plains and all those areas, and that's—I mean—that's a huge chunk of the globe. That's 150 million people who are not currently under your control. That was the height of the Soviet Union. At its height, that's every country with a stan at the end of its name. Kazakhstan, Afghanistan, you bet. That's a lot of countries that are NATO countries, like Poland, mm -hmm. which is next. You're talking about Latvia. You're talking about Estonia. And so, yeah, they were always going to go after Ukraine. But what they really want is the control of those flat plains that are only a part, that Ukraine is only a part of. Next comes Poland. Next comes Latvia. Next, and this isn't domino theory. This isn't like we were talking about in Southeast Asia and in the 60s and 70s with, with Vietnam. This is not – there's one domino. There's no domino theory. This is Russia basically saying, okay, first we need Ukraine. Then we need to poke. We need to poke at the NATO net. Because there's that magic sentence in the NATO treaty, right? An attack on any one is an attack on all. And so what Russia has to do next is after they've got Ukraine, they got to pick somebody. Maybe it's Poland. Maybe it's Estonia. Maybe it's somebody like that. Somebody who's in NATO. And they're going to poke militarily. And they're going to see if anyone really means anyone. Or are there some countries that NATO is more willing to defend rather than others? And of course, it can't be. 
it has to be every single one. Mm-hmm. So Act That's One what membership buys you. right supposedly, and if it doesn't. NATO falls apart like tissue paper in the rain and all these little countries go, well, screw this. And they go and and nobody new will join. So Putin's a chess player. So either he deconstructs NATO or the next phase of this, which nobody wants, is U.S. is is NATO versus Russia. And NATO is going to kick the crap out of Russia, like technologically satellites intelligence, uh, troop training, generalship, strategy, everything. We are so, 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 so far superior to Russia. They're proving it every day right now. But when you're getting your butt kicked is when you fire off the nukes. He's not going to nuke Ukraine. You don't nuke an area you want to occupy. Mm -hmm. Ukraine's the fifth largest grain producer in the world. You're not going to nuke that. You need that. Okay. But what happens next is if Russia takes on NATO and NATO's kicking the crap out of Russia, that's when you go self-defense, hit the nukes. And that's, that's what we don't want. Does Russia want, I don't understand why this war started other than it seems like they want supply channels and supply chains to be controlled by Russia and, and again, any area where they feel like they could be invaded from, that's their idea of security is control. Yeah. So they don't want a border state. They don't want a Canada or a Mexico. They, 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 don't, they the, want to own the whole continent. History has taught them not to trust border states. History has taught them that border states eventually invade you. History has taught them, again, going back to that Lee Blessing play, history has taught them, and history has especially taught Putin. Remember, he was KGB. He was at the right hand of Andropov. He was in East Germany when it all went down. History has taught them that the only security is control, is what you can control. What made him all of a sudden feel so insecure? It wasn't all of a sudden. This was always the plan. As soon as – listen, let's, let's take was it, it – Was it because Ukraine was thinking about joining NATO? Is that the tipping he point? He can say that if he wants. It doesn't matter if they were or not. He, he needed control of that, of, of that area. Here's the thing. You go back to Hitler in, in World War – and I know everybody hates to make Putin, Putin-Hitler comparisons. But Hitler, at the end of World War I, he and his, his young men, his, his cadre of guys who would eventually become the Nazis, Good word. they believed that the only reason Germany had lost World War I was, was because of this great betrayal. It was called the stab in the back, right? And Germans are so superior. There's no way we could have lost. There must have been a betrayal. It was our, it was our government. It was our power structure. And that's why we're going to become this revolutionary group and overthrow the government. In the same way, Putin, who was part of the KGB, who was part of old school Soviet Union, who was part of control, power, all those invasion areas basically controlled except for Afghanistan. That didn't go well. The same thing. Gorbachev comes into power and what does Gorbachev do? He gives it all away. And in their view, right, by talking to the U.S., by getting together with Reagan, uh, everything, that's the the breakup of the Soviet Union. That was the great betrayal in Putin's mind. And so Putin sees himself as the great savior. He sees himself as the guy who's going to bring it all back together, like the Terminator in the movie. It's all going to flow back together. And, and he's going to be the guy who, who reconstitutes it from the, the great betrayal of, of Gorbachev. What do you see Zelensky, the Ukraine um, president, right? Yeah, Zelensky. What do, you, what do you see his move? He doesn't have him. I mean, he's doing his move. He's, he's got to defend his country. He's got to basically fight a holding action, and he has to constantly, constantly 
bring the West on his side. Look, the, 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 the Ukrainian people have shown themselves to be incredibly resilient, amazing fighters. They've even – they're taking – uh, Russian technology that they're finding and Russian weapons and they're fixing it up because it hasn't been fixed up in a long time and they're doing better with it than the Russians did themselves and he's constantly over here in, and in Germany and France and he's he's appealing for help and he's making the case that I just made he's like listen we'll fight him for you we'll fight Russia and Putin for you we'll defend ourselves but you really don't want us to fall because if we do now you got to get your hands dirty so he's doing Exactly what he can do. He's doing it very, very well. He is he is making the case that you supply us and we'll do the fighting. We're not asking you to put boots on the ground. We would love you to put some planes in the air because they're parallel is kind of everything. But yeah, we'll we'll do the fighting. Just please give us the supplies. Especially now. Watch these next couple of months because what's happening? The weather's warming up. That means the ground is solidifying. That means it's easier to get tanks across. It's easier to get jeeps and trucks across and establish your supply chains. The war, as awful it has been as it has been, was always going to take a little bit of a winter lull as the weather got nasty and the ground got nasty. Now watch what happens. Here comes spring. Here comes firmer ground. We're going to see everything escalate on both sides and see what happens. Yeah. There was a big concern that, um, and I hope people aren't picking up this audio that we're having that we can't fix for whatever reason I'm hearing it in my head again. Sorry to be a distraction there, but, um, it's, it seems like there's, there's not a really an end to it. Um, I, it's not predictable. I, I know that there was, I think a hope on Russia's part that it was going to be a cold winter and that they were going to take, you know, the energy away from Ukrainians and and Germans to a lesser extent Mm -hmm, as well. Right. mm -hmm. Um, That doesn't seem to have happened. Ukrainians are badass, man. They can put up with an awful, awful lot. And this amazing thing happened in between the time, because remember Russia emerged first and bit off Crimea few years back, just a little piece of Crimea. And Ukraine wasn't really formulated to stop them in any way, shape, or form. They just kind of let it happen. Well, in the intervening time, what occurred? They got armed. They got trained. They developed even more of a national identity so you can wave a flag and say, listen, they will know. What's that great Zelensky line? When, when you find our corpses, you will find them with the wounds in the front, never in the back. I mean, come on. This guy's a badass. He is a badass. He is, he is a badass. He's never appearing on camera in like a suit and tie when he goes to Congress. He's coming in combat fatigues like, I may have to go fight right now. He's, he's what do you doing... think about McCarthy turning him down to come over and see for himself? It seems like a lot of people have gone there. Uh, this is so bad. And... You, you can't I, – I know, I know it's popular to do – amongst the Republicans to do the opposite of whatever Biden is doing. So if Biden says the sky is blue, you got to say no. And if Biden says we're going to stand up to you for, with Ukraine, you got to say, well, how long are we going to write him a blank check? And I'm if, so tired of the division. If you in let Putin see daylight, if you let him even get a sense that we might not be on board in terms of supplying them or that NATO might be fracturing Oh, you give him new life. You just put the AED right on him and clear. You can't do that. You can't do that. Just not, especially not for just sheer political purposes. You can't do. Oh, it makes me crazy. What the games people are willing to play with people's lives just to make some points. 
Yeah, I mean, there's so many points that I've drawn comparison that really are separate issues here in America. Um, just like the um, plane, or not plane, but uh, train crash in Ohio, where mm. Biden should be there and taking care of business. Like, there's people that have roles and jobs within the administration, and they're they're out there doing their best, whether it be a Republican administration or Democratic. But it seems like there's people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and uh, Ted Cruz that are, they spend their whole time in a negative speech. And I, I never hear a situation where one of those say, hey, I'm proposing this bill for the betterment of all Americans. Um, this makes sense. It's a bipartisan bill. You know, we'll be better people for it. Instead, it's just like, it's hatred towards the other party. And I know I talked about, you know, are we coming to a civil war here in America? We have a, a social civil war going on right now. Oh, I'd say we have a cold civil war. Where we, have, we are in a state of civil war. It's just a cold war. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so negative. And you know, I remember Mitch McConnell not signing any bills forever. Um, it's just like, when did we get so divided? Or have I had my head in the sand and we've always been this divided? Or, or was there a point in American history where both parties work together for the betterment of the country. Oh, sure. Sure, sure, sure. And listen, did you, by the way, speaking of your girl, uh, did you see Marjorie yesterday? Did you see what happened? She got the gavel for a while. No. She got the gavel for a while. So for those of you who don't know, Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, the Speaker of the House isn't always the Speaker of the House 24 hours a day, 24 hours a day. Sometimes the Speaker has to go to a meeting or travel or do something and he hands the gavel off and lets somebody else, usually within his own party, they will serve as as presiding speaker. And generally, it's a reward for something, or it's a you know, it's it's a, it's, it's it's yeah. And and uh, I wouldn't doubt at all that it was part of the uh, what was it, the fourteen votes, the the constant uh, uh, voting to to get him to be speaker. I'm sure it was a condition. But Marjorie got the gavel yesterday. So Marjorie Taylor, wrap your head around this. Marjorie Taylor Greene was acting Speaker of the House yesterday for a few hours. Now, you're shaking your head in disbelief. Let, yeah, uh, let, what's their skill set? Let, let, me, let me make it weirder. Sex cults? Let, yeah. me, let me make it weirder. The Constitution of the United States is fuzzy on presidential succession in terms of permanent speaker of the house versus acting speaker. That means there is an argument to be made and she knows people who would make it. There is an argument to be made that yesterday for a few hours, Marjorie Taylor green was third in line for the presidency of the United States for a while. If something very bad, God forbid had happened to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, the, the acting speaker of the house was Marjorie Taylor green for a few hours. You could make an argument that for a few hours she was third in line for the presidency. President Marjorie Taylor Greene, wrap your head around that. I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around how she got elected in the first place. You know, what was oh, her skill set oh. and what had she done in the past that made her such a viable candidate other than collecting the most money and support? Hey, that way? look, look at her district in Georgia. Look, if you look at, at their polling satisfaction with her, they love her. They love her. You can say a lot of things about Marjorie Taylor Greene. You can't say she's not representing accurately the feelings of the people of her district. 
She is she is acting as far as they are concerned as their representative. They love when she does this stuff. They love when she comes to the State of the Union dressed like a big white Chinese balloon, which apparently she was stopped. Oh, no, that and was they, Cruella Deville from a well, the, thousand Dalmatians or whatever. <laughs> apparently, the original outfit was going to be much more balloon like, but uh, but but yeah, they love that stuff. They love her. They 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 love it when she makes the liberals cry. They think that we the, that that there is there is the forces of evil represented by AOC and that she is there and the, that Marjorie and Lauren Boebert and then they're they're their champion and they yeah no you can you can say a lot of things about Matt Gates and uh, Joe Manchin and some of these people you can't say they're not representing the people of their district because they're they absolutely are they're getting elected and they're not getting elected by that much they're getting elected by huge amounts mm-hmm. did she run against Stacey Abrams no, Stacey Abrams. Uh, no, no, no. Stacey Abrams was has run for uh, governor, and she's run for the Senate seat, and she's lost both times. Yeah. I, I like Stacey Abrams a lot. I, I, I wish as well. I wish she could put some some wins together. That would that would be a cool thing. I think she's she's now, an Georgia, interesting voice in the party. Purple state? No. Well, so interesting. In most of my lifetime, no. In most of your and my lifetime, it's been, been very, red. very, very red. Um, there are a. Uh, 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 leanings that that it has some purple to it. I mean, it has two sitting Democratic senators right now. That would tell you purple. However, um, again, that's why the Voting Rights Act is so important, um, because the the accusation is there are political machinations underway to make sure it swings way back red by keeping blue voters who tend to be minority voters in in Atlanta and, and some of the big urban centers there from being able to vote in the polling places, wiping the voter rolls. Um, uh, 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 making, making voting tougher to do in some ways, going back to the old ideas of Jim Crow with, with poll taxes or literacy tests or things like that, making sure that quote unquote, the right people can vote and the wrong people can't. And the idea is that would swing it back to red. And Congress has again, has refused to, uh, uh, re up the voter rights act, which used to be automatic, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then in, in the John and they've renamed it the John Lewis voting rights act and, and they won't do it. They're not doing it. Yeah, I want to get back to the Voting Act and abortion and a few of those things that seem to be going backwards um, in time. You know, I, I see it in other countries, too, the suppression of women. And it's just like, what is changing the progress to reverse it all of a sudden? I don't, I don't know that tipping point, but it seems to be prevalent in lots of different arenas. Um, U.S. And NATO countries put together sanctions and seizures of, I think, the last total I heard was like $58 billion of Russian assets. Sure. Um, Chelsea lost their owner. Mm-hmm. Well, son's favorite soccer team. Oh, he's a Chelsea guy? Okay. Yeah. And Roman, you know, he's probably bad to make the money, but once he made the money, he tried to do right, you know, so he wasn't the worst guy on the, on the planet, but he got tagged. I'm wondering how these sanctions are really playing out long term on Russia. I know it was a hit for three months or so, but is it really affecting the war anymore? Well, that's always the question for any sanctions, right? Whether you're talking about the sanctions we did on Saddam or Gaddafi or Bashir al-Assad in Syria, do sanctions work? And especially do they work? The question is always, do they hurt who you want to hurt? Right. Because the, the, the argument against sanctions is always they hurt the guy on the ground. 
they they hurt the the people on the street and the the dude who is the the awful autocrat that you're trying to get out of power he still ends up driving his rolls royce anyway the the corruption and the and the graft is so so bad that that he still ends up living in his three or four palaces with his two sons who go out and basically rule the the city like a street gang and it's the it's the people with the shops it's the bakers it's the it's the the families those are the people who can't afford milk in the stores those are the people who because of stagflation are now having to roll wheelbarrows full of worthless dollar bills to go and buy a loaf of bread the other – I mean obviously the counter argument is if you make things bad enough, eventually you will have those people. You will have the military. You will have folks like that rise up to, over, to, to overthrow um, and, and you will create regime change. Um, I think our sanctions took a huge blow when China and India didn't really – haven't really signed Jumped on. In, yeah. um, you know, because China is a big enough – market that if they keep buying Russian oil and if they keep exchanging goods and really strengthening their trade relationship, our sanctions don't have the same bite. Um, you know, the, the, the bleeding is just too slow. And, and India is still kind of in, in some ways trying to play both sides of the situation, but they're also a huge market. And so let's, let's not uh, state the case falsely here. I mean, yes, most of the world has ri- – well, I won't even say that. A big chunk of the world has risen up against Russia and is on the side of Ukraine and says they're on the side of self-determination and democracy and all that. But a big chunk of the world isn't. You know, China and, and their population isn't and, and India and their population kind of is but kind of isn't. And so as long as those things are still the case – the, the sanctions are not going to have the bite. Now, that, that doesn't mean they're, they're, they're not going to hurt a little bit, but – Yeah, taking a, a billionaire's yacht is not the same as the, the mom and pop store on the street. And, and the, the thing too to remember about Putin is he has over time – he's KGB. He's a chess player. He's smart. He has over time eliminated by various means anybody who would come up and potentially replace him or try to overthrow him. There's no bench there. There's yeah, no bench on the sidelines. Uh, Volley or what's the guy's name that's in prison that he poisoned? Oh God, yeah. Um, it's, Volley, it's, Volley, it's, Volley. Yeah, it's something like that. And and you know Medvedev is still there, and and all the. There's nobody. He's surrounded himself with yes men. I mean, not to the degree that that. Well, she, he's a dictator. Right, point. but mm, except except this is the fascinating part. In in the same way as like Trump. There are there are people in Foggy Bottom at the at the the State Department who are who are the Russia experts who claim that Putin could have a free and open and absolutely unrigged election tomorrow in Russia and win because like, of the fear the, some fear but also some people who dig it some people who dig strength some people, I just did a paper um, in in one of my music history classes on on Cold War and how some of those patterns are repeating over and over again the the New York Metropolitan Opera um, just dismissed its uh, its its one of its lead sopranos who is a, a supporter of Russia and and was like saying all these amazing Putin things and was posting with the with the the Ukrainian separatist flag on her Twitter and and all this stuff in her and she was like oh I just love Putin no oh, he's so great oh he's so virile he's so strong I wish we could have had a relationship oh he's so great he said there is a strength just like we had here in America with Trump there is a, a strength that does kind of draw people of 
I don't take any shit from anybody and I don't, uh, you know, I don't apologize for anything and I say whatever I want and do whatever I want. There is an attractiveness to that to certain people. And there are folks who claim that he could have an election tomorrow and still win. So dictator is not a bad uh, rule because he doesn't like the institutions of democracy. But let's be clear. He got elected and he could get elected again. Yeah, I find power and ego bad drivers in my personal life. And mm-hmm. I find Power-hungry people is unattractive, but I can see the case being made for um, somebody strong being sexy to somebody else, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. Uh, let's move on before I start crying. Okay, sure, <laughs> sure. Nord Stream Pipeline. Well, you've, you've kind of moved on, but you kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. haven't. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, there, there's little bits and pieces. My question to you is, yeah. is there any possibility that we – and the Swiss planted bombs on the pipeline long ago to make this um, all our war. all our intelligence is telling us this was probably Ukrainian separatists, and it would be absolute or, or, Ukra- or Ukrainian revolutionary too, right? R- right, but but here's the thing: it would be the perfect play for Ukraine to do. Because what you are scared of – look, I'll, I'll take us back historically again to World War I. One of the first things that the British did when they wanted us to enter the war on their side is they cut the transatlantic cable, right, to make sure that we were getting all our news of the feed in World War I from them, not from deeper into Europe, okay? In the same way, if you were trying to make sure that Europe and NATO came in on your side, Ukraine, back in September – What's the one big thing that ties Russia to to Europe? Gas. Yeah, but gas is Russia is basically for all intents and purposes. What's that great line? The center, a gas station with a military. Okay, so if you can make sure that that Europe is becoming less dependent on Russian gas, that that breaks the main tie and makes Europe much more likely to come in on your side as Ukraine. Right. I guess what I'm thinking is that. It may have been a play to strengthen the actions of NATO members and America in in this war situation. Like America could possibly bomb that pipeline to get more support from NATO countries by secretly doing that and cutting off the gas, making it a, a certain urgency for everybody. I mean, you could say that, but by that logic, you could also say that that it was the Russians doing it and spreading misinformation or or doing it to leave traces that Ukraine did it to try to turn NATO against Ukraine for gas starving them. Mm-hmm. I mean, at it the could end, play either way. at the end of the day, it could, it could play either way. But right now, our intelligence is saying is saying Ukraine uh, Ukrainian counter revolutionaries. Now, keep in mind, we should we should be really clear. We have no evidence that Zelensky or any of the actual Ukrainian government was involved in it in any way, shape, or form. And they've denied it. And they've denied it, too. So, But but it's the perfect chess move play for anybody who wants to make sure that NATO comes in on the side of Ukraine, as opposed to, you know, kind of sees if we could... Because I think that's what everybody was worried about at the beginning, is like, is Europe going to be so dependent on Russian gas that for a while they kind of tried it, oh, well, we don't want to piss them off. Well, here, here's some tanks, but we're not going to give you any. Uh, wait, wait, I think we have some boots around here somewhere that they were going to try to, 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 to soft Joel, pedal could it, it. Could it be a play by America to force Ukraine to um, join NATO quicker? So now we have an excuse to go after Russia ourselves? Not really. I mean, we're, we're 
we are the the flag carrier for NATO. I mean, that's the thing. NATO's not going to do anything without us. Now, granted, it is in Europe's backyard, so that's different. But but NATO is again, it's it's not it's not going to happen without us. And we are. And the same thing again, again. I hate to draw parallels between the two situations, but remember who's also watching this very carefully, and we know they're watching it very carefully, is China, because they're thinking, hmm, Taiwan, if one day I want to come back and I want to reclaim Taiwan, what will the rest of the world do? And and one thing you got to say good about this Ukraine mess, it has shown China, if you do it. First of all, it'd be an incredible cost of life. In, uh, uh, NBC did a great thing recently where they brought in a lot of military strategists and they did a war game, digital war game of let's say China finally goes for Taiwan. And what happens and what do you do? Then what do you do? Then what does this group do? And what does this group do? Two things. First of all, China doing Taiwan would be the single largest amphibious operation in the history of the world. It would even be bigger than D-Day. Okay, the the amount of people that they're dealing with and the amount of land and and the second thing is China does not have anywhere near the diversity of economy and economic strength that Russia has. If we slap the same sanctions on China that we've put on Russia, there's no way they wouldn't last a year. They they don't have but the economic strength to. We're have. so dependent on. Chinese goods. Well, that's that's not saying Taiwanese too, because that's the biggest. Right. That's not saying it wouldn't it wouldn't hurt us, but we would. We always have Mexico, right? And we always have Canada. We we have. It would hurt for a while. It would hurt, but we we would have the ability to eventually build that factories, build those infrastructure up, uh, uh, do that sort of stuff. Um, China's never going to. I mean, look at China's population. Good lord, they got they got five hundred. What is it? Five hundred million dudes there walking around that can't find wives. Because one child worked. <gasps> Look, sometimes when you do horrible demographic population control policy, sometimes they work and you've screwed yourself. We've never seen a population decline of, of, of aging and, and, and lack of young people in a country that didn't have a war, a natural disaster, or a plague. They did it to themselves. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And I don't know how they recover. I honestly don't. A little Barry White. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> well, candles, that, well, but that's wine. the thing. That's the thing. Okay, so I'm going to watch me link this to another issue, right? We have a very aging population as well, but we've got a secret weapon that China doesn't have. For all everybody's yelling about the open border. Oh, it's the open border. Oh, it's so terrible. The open border. What you don't hear is that the American economy needs three to four million million. New immigrants every year to keep our economic population viable. Okay. Immigrants help us. Mm-hmm. They do that, especially in our aging population. They come in and they work jobs and they buy stuff and they consume. And yes, they pay taxes too. They pay sales taxes and in some cases income taxes. China but they can't vote. China doesn't <laughs> have that. Nobody's, nobody's rushing to immigrate to China. Right. Nobody wants to run. So their population is just aging. And Korea is even worse. It's just aging and aging and aging and aging. And they don't have this immigration to replace it. So I I honestly don't know what the end game is for China. There's a lot lot less interracial marriage in in China, correct? Oh, man. I mean, we – listen, let me be very careful how I say this. It's not that we in America don't have racism. We absolutely do. It's not that we don't have racial problems to solve. We absolutely do. And we can talk later about policing and we've already talked about the Voting Rights Act and all that. 
But in China, if you are not Han Chinese, if you if you are not majority Han Chinese, the racism there is open. It is uh, uh, governmentally sanctioned. It is in politics, uh, politics and policies, and and it is it is right out there, and it's visceral, and it's it's really bad. And and other people in Asia can look at that and see that, and they go, I don't want to immigrate there. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go to that. Don't you think there's a a section of the American population that wants to have the the pure white Christian breed continued. Oh, and, sure. And Absolutely. And threatened by all these immigrants. Absolutely. And, and again, when we're looking at people like Marjorie Taylor Greene or Lauren Boebert or Matt Gates or, or whoever, um, Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz, you Matt have Ted. to look and see, okay, to what degree are they upset about immigration because they are really upset about immigration and, and the, the, it's a dog's breakfast of a system. And to what degree are they just trying to make political points? And they just feel like this is an area where Biden's vulnerable. Hey, you got to figure that out. We had a Republican president and Trump for four years and what? There was 500 square feet of wall built and did the immigration process get any better? Kids in cages. We had kids in cages. We've had kids in cages for a long time mm-hmm. prior to him and, and still going on. And that was a hot button for a week or something. But the news cycle doesn't allow it to continue to provide solutions through conversations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it seems like. One hand is always blaming the other hand mm-hmm. when we when we change House, Senate, presidency. Um, but it's equally every American's problem yeah. or, or solution that needs to be provided. So it just drives me nuts, you know, politics in general. But I find it fascinating. And I always love talking to you, Joel, because you have a good grip on it. What is making us so damn divisive that we can't come to the table for the betterment of people in general? You know, it's that might be an unfair question. No, it's not. It's not an unfair question because you know I've I've spent a lot of time in the last couple of years uh, uh, studying the Civil War as one of my one of my areas of focus in my, in my grad program. So we have been incredibly divided before. I mean, hell, we've shot at each other. Um, but you you know, it's interesting. I've flipped around because there was one time we were sitting at these microphones and you asked me, "Is there another Civil War coming?" And I went categorically. I think this was four or five years ago. No, like we don't break down. You know, check the tape. I think I said something like we don't break down as even geographically with all the slave states here and all the free states here. And it would be too messy. Every state has a blue sort of center with red around it. Well, then I switched and and I think that I could see it as one of the things that switched me was after Roe v. Wade got overturned, Mm -hmm. because if we're going to go state by state, I think that's when you called me and said I might be wrong. Well, the thing was, yeah, if if. If we're going to go state by state in terms of value, then what's going to happen first, you've got a step one, which is everybody's going to kind of migrate to places that share their values. And then we will be that divided. You know, if everybody who wants to live in a certain kind of place migrates to, let's say, Washington, and everyone who wants to live in a certain kind of place migrates to, let's say, Texas. I just pulled those two out of my butt. But now suddenly we are that divided. And we can talk about it. But now I've, I've come even further. And as I said a few minutes ago, I think we are in a civil war now. I think we are currently in a state of civil war. It's just a cold war. And we're fighting it in a hundred different battlefields. That's why it's already making me crazy. You know, everybody's starting about the elections. And we'll probably sit at these microphones again talking about the 2024 elections in the next six months, in the next year. Yeah, for sure. Whatever. But you're already starting to hear people say the same thing they said in 2020 and the same thing in 2016. Yep. 
this is the most important election of our lifetime coming. This is the most important. Well, okay, they said the same thing in 1860 when we were about to elect Lincoln. Okay, they said the same thing in 1864 when we had a presidential when we had a presidential election during a war. Every election, they said the same thing in 1960 when Kennedy was up against Nixon. Every election can't be the most important election of our lifetime. But, but what a cold civil war is is it's filtering down to all the little elections that people leave off the ballot. This election, if you don't know who's on your judges, sc- judges school boards, district attorneys, county councils, city councils, mayors, governors, everybody wants to talk about Congress people and presidents. And that's fine and you should know about those. But the, the current American Civil Cold War is being fought at a very local level. What books are we going to ban out of schools? Mm-hmm. When are we going to teach kids about sex education? Um, what what uh, uh, population do you have to serve in your store? Who can move into an area and who can't? What are the zoning regulations? And that stuff is tough because you got to do your homework and you got to find out what you think and think about what you think and then find out what candidates really would do with certain issues. It is more labor and intensive. It is more graduate level democracy, right? It's not just, I like Biden better than I like Trump. Click, click, click. And that's where this cold civil war is being fought and where it's going to be fought next year. Yeah. You brought up some points I wanted to bring up, um, especially about sex education and banning books, Ron DeSantis in Florida and how he's kind of taking that as his number one approach to connecting with people. He's decided that's his flag to fly. Yeah. Yeah. And Johnny Evison great local author here that's been on the show. You know, he's was telling me the other day in the store that, you know, he's just got months and months of hate calls and threats and all about his latest book, which that side of the United States doesn't want in the library and doesn't want kids to have access to it. And yet there's other groups that come in here and and talk about whole history and why exclude anything. And then, History is always written by the winner, right? So objectively, why is it bad to have other people's opinions of it? We have um, with CNN and Fox. Those are two different opinions, mm-hmm. and they're writing history, much like Tucker Carlson has with this January 6th video stuff that's mm-hmm. been a hot topic this last couple of weeks. Why can't we wrap ourselves around diversity? Are we so scared of it that we can't take the time to read it? Or, I mean, I, I appreciate having sex education talk from a health perspective as opposed to an emotional perspective, which I would carry on with my child, right? Um, we need to see things that are good and bad to decide for ourselves what kind of route we want to take, what's appropriate for us. So for somebody to mandate which book I can read, just – goes against my thought process. Well, and if I were Ron DeSantis sitting here or Ted Cruz or Marco Rubio or something like that, they, they like to use the I word indoctrination, right? You are going to, the reason that I want to take my governmental hand, because remember these people are conservatives and they say that less government is always better. Less government is a heavy hand. on Right. Except here. Right. Um, uh, And, and what they are saying is, when it crosses the line in terms of you are no longer educating children, you are indoctrinating children. That's their argument that you are what, not what's fiction. The, <laughs> the, the idea is that you are you are exposing kids to ideas that either I as a parent would like to do on my own timetable or I'm only exposing them to one side of it. 
And maybe my personal religious beliefs at home are that, that homosexuality is, is uh, uh, not sanctioned by God or whatever. And so then when I send my kid to school where I am not and where I am not in control of them and you are telling my children something that is contrary to what I would like to be telling them, now we have crossed the line from education into indoctrination. That is their argument. Okay. Mm-hmm. I would argue that to a certain degree – you're always educating children. It just is a, do you mean to or not? Because they're always watching. They're Mm -hmm. always looking at you. They're always figuring stuff out. And it's only indoctrination when it's what you don't like. Right. Right. There are, there are parents, a lot of these same parents, um, if we were going to have, let's say, firearm classes in schools and teach kids how to arm themselves and actually, we used to, right? and and actually, you know, be able to 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 have kids uh, armed and be taught proper firearm safety, well, that'd be fine. Well, but, kids did used to carry guns to school and have uh, that gun education. Well, and a, a rural kid is twice as likely, according to the FBI, as twice as likely to bring a firearm to school as an urban kid, mm-hmm. contrary to popular thought, to, to popular uh, uh, misinformation. So. You know, okay. So what is so what is it? Is it indoctrinating that kid to to tell them about firearm statistics or to tell them about uh, uh, how unsafe excuse me how unsafe firearms are in the home, especially if you've got a young boy at home, because boys are more likely to use a firearm to attempt suicide than a girl, and they succeed more often, even though they attempt suicide less. Is telling <laughs> is telling kids those kind of statistics? Is that education, or is that in, bag or is that indoctrination? That's that's the thing. And and the other thing is, Ron DeSantis is about to run for president, right? right? So he's got to find a lane. He's got to find something you can put on a T-shirt. He's got to find a flag you can wave because 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 the wonderful things he does. Remember, there were a lot of people who liked everything Trump did. They just didn't like what he said and how he did it. If they could get all Trump's policies in a dude who was a little bit more camera and microphone friendly and wasn't constantly, you know, uh, uh, saying horrible things about disabled people or paying money to, you know, sex workers and things like that. uh, Wives. Yeah. Then they would be cool with that. So if he can style himself as the slightly more acceptable version of Trump for those people, he's definitely got a lane. Yeah, he's. Well, he tried with the masks. Like I remember him yelling at interns to take yeah, the masks. Take those off. off. That's performative. That's theater. That's performance. Oh God. <laughs> the, here's the danger with DeSantis. Here's the danger. Here's what he's going to try to do. He's constantly going to compare himself to Trump so that there will be that population that will go, well, at least he's not Trump. And you mm-hmm. can be a Republican who thinks he's a kinder, gentler Trump, or you can be a, a centrist voter who goes, well, at least he's not Trump, and you're already thinking positively about him. But if we set Trump as the bar for him, yeah. you know, that's a low, 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 low bar. Uh, following Michael Bloomberg and then uh, listening to Howard Schultz, who both ran as centrists last mm-hmm. time, I'm surprised how that came out. Like, they both said they couldn't win as a centrist. But I also heard some stat that, you know, 90% of people agree on the same things between right and wrong, but yet the narrative is extreme left, extreme right. Every time we report on something and it's just like, why can't we concentrate on these things that are actionable items that we both agree upon Mm -hmm. and put those up front and forward? It's, it seems like we have just a bunch of clowns, you know, pushing their own agenda, wanting to be that standout person 
getting mic time, you know, photo ops, whatever the situation is. Like, we're not a team. And uh, my question to you is, who are the up and coming political people that are, you know, not Donald Trump and not a hologram, you know, going forward? Mm -hmm. Well, here's the thing. Let's 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 create let's let's put the people in in different piles. There are people who are just worried about job security and just trying to make political points. Yes. There are also people who genuinely feel like their way of life is under threat that when uh, mm-hmm. in, a, in a poll, um, uh, I, I can't remember. Oh, was it Quinnipiac? I can't, but a poll recently asked uh, a, an interesting question. They said, do you feel like the other side's policies, whatever is opposite to the side you would would be the destruction of America and a surprising percentage of people on both sides answered yes. When you think you are fighting for your life, you fight hard. And there is, mm-hmm. let's be honest, there are people who are just trying to make political points and get a job. But there are also people who honestly believe. They honestly believe because of the news they've been watching and the people they hang out with. They honestly believe that if the, the Democrats controlled both houses of Congress and the Senate and we had liberal judiciaries, that um, – they would want all public schools in America to start with a flag burning every morning and then let's all go inside and watch a Will and Grace rerun. And, and that that's they, – they really believe that people would do that. In the same way, there are folks on the left who, who honestly believe that if Donald Trump or whoever comes back into power in Congress and we lose the Senate, that uh, – Oh, whatever, that, that they're going to try to make it so that only white middle-aged men can vote and that they will attempt to pass a national law banning all abortion. You have people on both sides who believe they are fighting for their life. And as you and I, when we sat at these microphones with um, your mayor, uh, Rish- Risham Nassar. Yeah, when she, when she was here, we were talking about what's going on in Israel-Palestine. And one of the themes we talked about a lot was when the extremists grab the wheel – it's really hard for moderate people to grab it back because you may not have somebody on the other side who thinks like you, but you can damn sure be certain that there's somebody on the other side as extreme as you mm-hmm. who is as extreme in their view. So if we're looking for people who can, who can bridge the gap, who can build consensus, who can, who can speak on both sides of the aisle. I, who is that? Yeah. Who I, was that in the past? Well, in the past, you got to remember that things weren't broken down this hard. I mean, there used to be Republicans, but there were liberal Republicans like Rockefeller and there were conservative Republicans. And there used to be Democrats. There used to be liberal Democrats and there used to be very conservative Democrats. The Dailies of Chicago, Richard Dailies, who who was the boss of Chicago, he was more conservative than any of these pansies and he was a Democrat. Okay, so once upon a time, party did not directly affiliate to political consensus. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, the polarization has happened. And again, it's like we, Joe Manchin is the only guy that's not always right in his and, party line. And, and the, and well, and you've got somebody like, like Kirsten Cinema too, but, but the idea is mm-hmm. I, I would argue that now we are in a time of four parties on each, on each side, you have the really extreme. So you've got like the freedom caucus and then you've got the, the AOC, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, you know, hyper almost democratic socialist. And then you have the standard Republican and the standard Democratic parties. And if what Kevin McCarthy had to go through, those 14 votes to, to do Speaker of the House, if that taught us anything, it taught us that those guys on the right, that Freedom Caucus, they're not a splinter group. 
They're not a splinter faction. They can make policy happen. They're on committees now that they weren't on before. Marjorie Taylor Greene had the speaker gavel for a few hours yesterday. They are an actual political force that gets their way sometimes. Isn't there a new party, a progressive party that's coming up? Well, the progressive – I would I would call – depending on how you define progressives, I would I would put like AOC and and Bernie and those folks in that in that progressive wing. Now, what's going to be fascinating is once is, – is seeing who – let's see. I know Marianne Williams has already announced – it will be interesting to see if the the Liz Cheney's, uh, the Adam Kinzingers, somebody who feels like they're they're coming down the middle of the aisle, if they announce and they decide they want to run, because one of the things that is very Texas now has, and Texas has a huge amount of electoral votes, Texas now has what's called a a, a sore loser law. And in fact, several states have sore loser laws, which means if you declare for the presidency as a Republican or a Democrat. And different sore loser laws work different ways. Some of them are just in our state. Some of them are in any state. And you don't get your party's nomination. You cannot now be on the ballot in our state as a third party. You have to be third party from the beginning or you can't be on our state at all. That's going like, to keep a lot of – the fact that Texas with all its electoral votes has a sore loser law is going to keep a lot of people from going, hmm, maybe I'll run as a Democrat. But if I don't get the nomination, then I'll run as a third party. That's not mathematically viable anymore. So being an independent, I believe this is the case. In the primary, Republican primary, I can vote. Mm-hmm. Democratic party, I have to align with the Democratic party and not an independent party to – um, vote in the primary. Is that correct? In the state of Washington, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. that that kind of messes it up. So being an independent, there's not an independent party that's putting one forward. Right. And it's, and so I should be able to go to the left or right, listen to both, mm-hmm. and then say, I'd like to push this person forward to challenge this person, and let's man or woman, best person wins. Yeah. And, and the other thing that a lot of people are pushing for that would, would really help, I think with that, uh, uh, is ranked choice voting where you don't have Mm -hmm. to just pick one. Um, but the other thing too, is what that does is that perpetuates that system that, that we keep having, which is to win a primary, either as a Republican or a Democrat, you got to cater so far to the edge because those people who have extreme points of view, whether it's, Hey, let's forgive all the student debt ever that's ever been accrued or, uh, you know, whatever the, the, the thing that on the right would be, hey, let's repeal Medicare. Um, the if you have to, to to get the party's nomination, you have to cater to the edges and then you got to do this dance back to the center. Once you get the nomination, hey, I'm not really that crazy. I was just saying what I needed to say to get elected now. Um, hey, I'm more of a center guy. I'm more Mitt Romney. I'm more. Whatever happened to Mitt? He's there. He's there. He's there. He's making noise. I would not at all be surprised to see him declare because he has very, I think, adroitly styled himself as a center, uh, what, moral, conservative, but uh, what was the great George Bush phrase? Compassionate conservative. I would not be surprised at all to see him jump in, Mm -hmm. especially if DeSantis shows any cracks in the armor. I've been impressed with him in the past. Uh, What's his official position right now? No, he's a, a senator from the state of Utah. Okay. But here's the thing. He remember he gave Obama a serious challenge. Mm-hmm. Remember that what got him was that video that the waiter took at the at the uh he was he was doing a fundraiser and some waiter pulled out his phone and taped his speech 
And this video that should have just been for his, his fundraising audience got blasted all over the internet and everywhere. And he said something like, I can't remember the figures, like 47, 47% of people don't even want to work. They just want to sit on their couch and get government money. And it was, it was the kinds of things you would say to a, again, a hardcore right edge audience that would never play as a centrist and it killed his campaign take that video out and i would be very interested to see that election anything killed trump's campaign because he had a lot of faux pas we didn't care that was the thing his people the people who were going to vote for him they ate that up they loved that stuff remember he said said, you could you should because he was never because romney was never they were running as two different people Remember, Trump was – we had already gotten – you can grab him by the – we had already gotten the the making fun of the disabled guy. We'd, every day we, we found out something new and he I was never – you know, we, he, we, he was never running as that guy. He wasn't running as Mike Pence. He wasn't running as Mitt Romney and his people loved that. Oh, hit him again. Do it again. Do it again. Well, I got a lot to talk about but we're already at an hour. So let's um, get back on track here um, about – Fox and Tucker Carlson, it seems like there's a new narrative that is playing out. Fox is being sued for billions of dollars by the voting system. Dominion, yeah. Uh, Where do you see that all shaping up? And how will it – I don't mean to ask for a doubleheader, but I'm going to. Uh, Where do you see that heading up? And how do you think it will play on the January 6th um, committee you know, here's the thing. I mean, number one, I th- the only thing I think it's really doing is it's making us once again, and we have to have this thought process every few years. It's making us ask ourselves, what is news? Is mm-hmm. news and versus what is commentary? And he's right? already said he's an entertainer. He, he cl- claims to be an entertainer, claims to be a uh, – and, and both Fox and MSNBC have this thing. Well, from whatever it is, 7 o'clock to 10 o'clock, that's our commentary time. It's not news. Mm-hmm. It's not news. We don't, we don't claim that it's news. And so – but then it's right down there in the bottom, Fox News. So uh, – what's in the name. Right. What is news? Um, very frankly, I, I hate to be cynical, but I think people are so dug in that nobody's hearing anything that surprises them. Because again, as I said before at this microphone, a great conspiracy theory is always self-sealing. If you don't believe me, you're in on the conspiracy. Mm. So if you think that Tucker really did say that about Donald Trump, I despise him so heavily or whatever it was he said, or that those those texts really are from Tucker. Hey, can we get her and her fact-checking taken off the air? Can we get her fired? She's making the stock prices drop. If you are a Fox News person and you really believe that you either don't care or you think it's a put up job because you've been indoctrinated. You've been told. And if if you're not one of those people, you already hated Tucker. So everybody's kind of dug into their camp. There's not I kind of wonder sometime what could somebody hear? What new piece of news could bubble to the top that would make anybody change their mind? That would make anybody switch sides. And I don't know that there is anything because, again, great conspiracy theories are self-sealing. So if something horrible comes up, well, that's made up. That's fake news. Or, uh, well, yeah, of course they'd say that because they want me to stop watching. But I have to say, you know, I, one of my, my buddies, Trace Cozine. Um, what's up, Trace? What's up, Trace? Uh, who is an EMT now in Alabama, which is a very different place than Washington. Yep. He told me he would he would call me up on the phone and he had some tough days as an EMT and he would he would tell me stories of 
answering 911 calls and going into somebody's house and some dude is on the the living room covid you know he's lying on his couch he's in full respiratory arrest fox news is playing on the tv he can't breathe and he's grabbing trace's arm and he's going dude give me the vaccine can i have the vaccine now can i and trace has got to first of all get this guy breathing again and then go that's not how the vaccine works man Mm -hmm. that's that's not it and so i mean at some point the bills do come due yeah you know they absolutely do so so let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, a lot of people are calling Fauci a liar and that he funded the Wuhan lab that was called the coronavirus lab. Right. Yes. Um, grant money goes out and he's the head of the person that gives out grant money. And I think it's, it shows that, you know, we need to have solutions to, viruses like this that could happen mm-hmm. unfortunately it did get out but is it fauci's fault but, but that's a, that's a key point let's let's stop there for a second it did potentially even if it did come from a lab okay and by the way where we're getting some of this is the department of energy's intelligence service first of all who knew the department of energy had an intelligence service they do and they monitor our our nuclear plants and they monitor fuel lines and they also monitor hey has anybody heard about um electrical transformers getting shot at as people try to black out towns and cities that's kind of their purview and they said they said we think it may have come from a lab we are expressing this the exact words in the report with a level of low confidence That means we don't really know any more than we knew before. But let's say for a second it didn't come from a wet market. Let's say they were experimenting with it in a lab and somehow it, you know, Stephen King, the standard out the door somehow. Okay, if you've read the first chapter of that, that frightening book, people are now making the jump to if it came from a lab. The release must have been intentional. It must have been some sort of bioweapon. They must have done it on purpose because labs are where intentional things happen. Do you have any idea how many awful, like truly awful diseases in test tubes the United States and Canada and Mexico are researching in labs right now Mm -hmm. that if something wrong happened, we have no vaccine for or we have like 10 doses for. Yeah. Yeah, smallpox or whatever. I mean, labs can be dangerous places. Your other option is to not ever do any research on any diseases. Now, I think there is a case to be made. Did after it got out, did China handle it very Awfully. Yes. I mean, did they, by the way, did they shut down domestic flights coming in and out of Wuhan, but not international flights? Yes. So even if they knew it was running around, they, they actually knowingly let it spread around the globe. There's no debate about that. Came here first. So, so yeah. Oh, I remember that's the day I opened my restaurant. I remember down in Shelton, we opened it. I remember, uh, opening up the paper and the day I clicked on the open sign on my little restaurant in Shelton. And then I, I went over and I took a cup of coffee and I opened the front page of, of the Olympian. And there was a, the little things that uh, mysterious virus causing flu-like symptoms in in urban China, and I just remember going, hmm, "That sounds bad. Hope it doesn't come here." Turn the page, and that's and you know, eight months later, I didn't have a restaurant anymore. So, I mean, that yes, I mean, there's is is was Anthony Fauci wrong about some things? Absolutely. Was he doing as all of us do? the best with the science we knew at the time? Yes. 
And just because that science changes and just because we now know new stuff with the 2020-ness of hindsight does not mean that somebody was disingenuous back at the beginning because science is always evolving and we're always finding out new stuff. Well, what about the ma- the masks in general? Was he just trying to sa- save that for healthcare professionals that he thought there was going to be a supply issue or – did he really believe that masks were going to protect us? I, I think the science at the time was telling us, listen, because uh, of, of the um, oh, what's the, the the aspirant nature of the fact that that the the COVID was coming out in the droplets, that that our data was telling us again, the best science we had at the time was telling us that keeping droplets from coming out of your mouth does cut down on disease transmission if both people are wearing a mask, even if those masks aren't in 95s. All right. Mm-hmm. Now, in retrospect, do we know that things like natural immunity is stronger than we thought? Do we know things like some masks are more effective than others? Yes, absolutely. But again, you can't that that's like saying that that, um, you know, a really think of think of the worst sports trade in your favorite sports team's history because it, it ended up bad because that that person got traded, got hurt or something like that. You didn't know they were going to get hurt at the time. You didn't know that they were they were totally done. They were out of gas. Unless you're the Denver Broncos, you don't really have a leg to stand on in terms of not doing your homework. So you make the best recommendations in science that you have based on the information that you have at the time, right? If And again, look, if you walk on a construction site, right, and a guy who is in charge of the construction site and has built a lot of buildings yells down at you, hey, put on a hard hat. You don't go, you know, I've heard that hard hats really don't work as well, and I'm probably actually doing better to keep a clear range of vision. And my cousin works construction, and he says maybe you can just move. No, you put on the hard hat mm-hmm. because some people are experts and some people are not. And again, we've made that, that leap from everybody is entitled to their opinion to every opinion is equally valid. And, and that's not true <laughs> so you know i i don't think that that my opinion is as valid as pete carroll's and john schneider's on whether or not we should keep gino yeah. i have mine and i'm entitled to it but i don't think it's as smart as theirs hold out for two seconds yes i want to wrap up with seahawks okay we're both big fans um what'd you make of the chinese weather balloons <laughs> dude there is so much junk floating around there is so much stuff. Some of it was Chinese. We now think that that a couple of the ones that got shot down in some other places might have been civilian, like, you know, researchers and people testing things. But the Chinese are absolutely, you know, again, they're poking and poking and poking and trying to, to figure out. that. And again, now the Chinese, you've got a different system than Putin. President Xi has systematically rid himself of anybody who tells him no, like anybody and as we saw with george w bush during the second iraq war it's bad to have a leader who doesn't have anybody around him telling him no but he has literally like had people disappeared tortured imprisoned shot if they tell him no to the point where if he has a horrible idea or if something occurred he's got nobody to say um sir maybe maybe we shouldn't send a gigantic floating balloon up over their missile sites uh that can be shot down with basically a bb gun um maybe that would not be the best idea because he'll shoot you he'll just have you shot and you'll never get found again so 
China is making some very, very bizarre because because we jammed Choices, yeah. we jammed it so it wasn't able to send any information back. We waited until it got out over uh, uh, some beaches that I used to go to when I was a kid out in Myrtle Beach and Hilton Head in South Carolina. We waited till it floated out over shallow water so we could easily retrieve it. And then we shot it down, and now we've got all the stuff, and we're getting bukus of info and intel from it. It was the worst plan ever, and it's the kind of plan you only get from somebody who is not surrounded by anybody um, who's not scared to contradict them. What you make of everybody – or not everybody, but a lot of people in the Republican Party – Blaming Joe Biden for not acting quick enough against the balloon. Yeah, watch watch what those same people would have done if we'd shot it down over Montana and it had hit one house, if it had killed one farmer's field. That thing had a debris field of seven miles. Mm. Have you seen how big that thing was? Two city buses crossed with a balloon over the top. And when you shoot it down, you don't know it's going straight down. Right, right, right. And all it, all it has to do is start one fire. All it has to do is fall on one homestead. All it has to do is do one. Just wait. Jam it. Don't let it get any intel. And you don't want to hit it over deep water. They had originally, um, in, uh, off of Alaska, they had thought about it there. But some of that water is three miles deep. You might never get it back. We wanted the goodies, mm-hmm. right? So you wait till it gets out in shallow Atlantic water, till your guys are sitting there with their frogman suits, yep. ready to go. You shoot it down. You get it back. Man, it's Halloween. It's trick-or-treats. It, it, yeah. No, it's crazy. There are, again, there are certain people who just, if Biden says the sky is blue, their job, they feel, or they have been told, is to say, no, the sky is yellow. Do you think that China had a purpose for doing doing those balloons like sure what was that purpose they wanted they wanted to go from based on the path supposedly it went over our missile sites uh in montana middle america they wanted to see our silos are closed the silos are closed can't you get that from infrared satellites we have they have satellites there's so much crap in the air the 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 people who send things up into space now say it's an incredibly risky thing because there's so much junk flying around at incredible speeds i mean there's so much crap in the air um but you know here's the other thing is we are also coming into the drone era you know, because now, because it was kind of a balloon, but it was also kind of a drone. And drones are one of those things, as I was telling my my history class the, the other day when I was subbing at a, at a high school, there's always technologies that come along and we love them when we're the first to have them. And then as soon as everybody else has them too, we say they're terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, Obama used that, to. that was true with missiles. That was true with with the atomics. Now that's that's true with drones. When we, we used to love drones, drones were helping us win the war in the Middle East. It's great. Now everybody's got drones. We're like, oh, we got to do something about these drones, man. You know, as soon as everybody else has them, too, and they're not cool anymore. All right. Thanks for catching me up on the political world. I, I feel <laughs> hey, more, call anytime. <laughs> I feel more informed. Yeah, you should just pop in at the end of each month. There you go. Be the regular guest you used to be. But here's the but here's the question: Did Gino give us a hometown discount? Absolutely, he did. I think he did. I, I you know, we talked about it a little bit. Um, first of all, I want to give myself props because I was like, let Gino cater. You were always on team. G- you were yes. I was big Gino. And supporter. hey, I I am too. I just didn't want to pay thirty five for yeah, him. I and thought I, he was. I thought he was going to get thirty two. I thought he was going to get. Th- I mean, from Indy, Atlanta. Uh, uh, oh, look at all the teams that need quarterbacks. Uh, Charlotte, all these teams. Half I the thought, NFL. I thought somebody was going to give him 35. Houston, mm-hmm. but he— He didn't even want to talk to anybody else. 
Uh, they're saying now he yeah. he really he started the negotiations with us and he kept them with us and so apparently felt Schneider dealt with him in in good faith and and the contract is very very incentive laden so that if this year turns out to have been a fluke you know Seattle has some out clauses now here's what and he has thirty more million he can right he can get from performance based uh, play. Um, so, but plus he also got life changing generational wealth in which he's 40, never had before, right? Forty million dollars. He's yeah, never he signed that big fat contract before. Been like between two and six. And, yeah. and so here's the thing: you're John and Pete. Do you now draft some young quarterback? Yeah. Really? With that yeah. first pick? With a first pick, or do you go in like the no, third first. or fourth round? Okay. Yeah. We we get that. Uh, draft combine super freak athlete. He's going to go. They're saying he's going to go top twenty. Well, that's going to screw some team over because he's not, <laughs> they're saying he's not ready, but that's what you would, that's he's what 50%. That's what you can do now that. is you can get, you can get somebody who might be, you can get Jordan love. You can go mm-hmm. get somebody who maybe has amazing tools, but they're not ready yet. And, and I would not doubt at all that part of Gino's contract was a little bit of, if you're, for those of you bull Durham fans out there was a little bit of crash Davis, right? We expect you to help. If we go get somebody, we expect you to, help to nurture to teach i listened to gino this morning and he said yeah i'm totally fine with them drafting a quarterback okay um i love to compete yeah i'm open to anybody trying to beat me out and if not our quarterback room is tight Mm. and i will never withhold information and i will always always be a mentor to another teammate because it's a team game because every veteran should always be trying to mentor every Get. I don't know if you bring Drew back. I don't know. We'll see now. But I know you what you got to bring Drew back. Uh, I know, on the cheap. I think I know what you want. I know what you really want. I want them to apologize yes. profusely to Bobby. Wags. You want you want B Wags. You want Bobby back. But I don't know I, if you get Bobby. Back. I don't. I. I, I does does Bobby, the math don't work? Come back. Does the math work? The math can work. It, it's Supposedly he's the, open and, to it. Yeah, and that's just because he's a better man. The environment that he's all his friends play here. Everybody, yeah, they're gonna come and go. Okay, (laughs) it's uh, NFL for not for long, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, he had a Pro Bowl season. He did, and he played well, and he fit into the Rams. But the Rams are kind of in a rebuild. I think they are. Um, I think he can get above average money still for two seasons. Two. I I think he would with a third year option. But you know, he's played ten years plus. Yeah. Um, I think we need a, a middle linebacker. We don't know how bad Jordan's hurt. Even Jordan was a drop off from Bobby, I think. Right. But would he have been again this year if he stayed healthy? He was learning. I mean, he's young. Again, yeah. developmental. Are you going to get younger I mean, or are you not? That's the we've thing. We've had a couple guys that have been in the linebacking crew for like six years and mm-hmm. they're just special teams guys, you know? Yeah. And we saw him on the field this year when people got went down and I'd like to change Jamal Adams. Well, to there's, linebacker. there's the problem is, is you've spent all your money on a dude who can't stay on the field and who isn't even really, honestly, he's not even really a real safety. He doesn't cover well. He doesn't move well when he's backpedaling off the ball. And, and as a result, you've, you've sort of done to the jets kind of did to us what we did to Denver. They, mm-hmm. they took us, you know, yeah. karma's a bitch. I, and, just, I think he's a different position player. Than safety. What? Like he's got to be. He's a run stopper. No, he's got to be um, outside linebacker. He has his quickness. He can decide to get out in the on the quick hooks and stuff, 
or sprint to that quarterback. You saw when he got hurt how quickly he got to Russell Wilson yeah, just he, by being in the box. He, he can't play a position where he takes constant contact. He gets hurt playing Monopoly. He's, uh, he can't. CJ Prosize, uh, Rashad Penny, mm. you know, we've had. We've taken chances with people. <clears throat> we've given lots of rope to lots of players, and his athletic athleticism is there. But, I mean, he's not even my concern anymore. Ryan Neal has played great. Right, but he's still on. <coughs> the problem is he's still on your books. He keeps you from doing other things right. with that salary. Uh, so cut him in my Oof. mind. You know, take the dead cap hit. Yeah. But back to Bobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think the Seahawks treated a legend like him correctly. You know, they, it wasn't a face By cutting him at all or by how they did it? How they did it. By how they did it. I think he could have accepted it if, it, you know, and they, they they do this often and say, hey, I'm going to let you go early so you can go find another contract. Right. They did that with Cam. Yeah. If you don't find one, you're welcome to come back here and mm-hmm. negotiate. But go get your money. We still love you. And you see how many Seahawks come back yeah. like Jefferson and such um, for multiple turns at the wheel. Michael Bennett. Michael you know, Bennett. There's there's players that are hot and, and at their peak at different times. And you have support issues and then you have payroll issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd also like to see a steady um, third wide receiver. God, yes. Um, there's injury issues there too, though. What's his name that we got for one year last year? He was pretty decent. Yeah. Can't remember his name, though. But here's the thing. If I were Pete sitting at this microphone and answering what what you just said, I would say that on the other side of that, you get all these players, all all these players who say, well, I I wasn't treated well when I left town, whether that's – uh, uh, I don't Percy, think many players say that. Whether uh, I think a lot of players. I think Richard Sherman has come out and said that. I, I think you've you've had multiple players who say that Pete loves on you and loves on you and talks about getting you loved up and coached up and culture and you're all part of our family till it's time to go, mm-hmm. and then slam and that and suddenly he becomes Bill Belichick. And I think from Pete's point of view, I think a lot of these players all say the right things. Hey, I get it's a business. I get it's a business. I understand it's a business. I understand my career is short, not for long, all that, until it's time for you to go because it's a business. And then suddenly it's, hey, I thought we were a family. Right. You know, I mean, listen, getting let go is never easy. I think you're a family until you turn 18 and then you're on your own. (laughs) You're on your own. (laughs) It's true. Well, I mean, hey, look, there's going to come a day. Who knows, maybe sooner rather than later, where they're going to look at Ricardo, um, where where they're going to look at – uh, DK Metcalf and go, dude, it either happened or it didn't or whatever, yeah. but we've seen your best and it's time to let you go. And he's a freak athlete, but I, I don't think he's up to the contribution that we expect. I think he's got some head issues. I think he, his head gets the better of him sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, Which we love too. I think, yeah, you I always think love some crazy football player. I think, and I think Jalen Ramsey knows how to poke at him, mm-hmm. you know, boy, talk about somebody who, how'd you like to get Jalen Ramsey in a trade? Now, Rams will never trade him in the division. But Keen Griffin coming back? No, you got to get you got to get younger, or you got to get markedly better. You have so, guys on this team who are as good as him, but younger. You, you got to get younger who do you think or better. Our weaknesses are you know a guard and a center. We can't we can't get there. We can't even when we send five dudes, we can't get home. And if we can't get home to the quarterback, do hmm. so you think it's more defensive? Yes. Then you've you've left. I can't tell you how many times I'm looking and I'm going. Why is that wide receiver wide open? And it's because any cornerback, I don't care how good you are, can only cover so long. Mm-hmm. If you can't get to the quarterback, if you can't get home, 
you're leaving your your corners on an island, yeah. and they they can't cover. My thing. That's the greatness of Tyler Lockett. Here's what I always come back to. My my Seahawk conundrum is always Cooper Cup. Okay, mm-hmm. Cooper Cup. Love him. How is Cooper Cup? I have I have asked this of many people in many different states of inebriation. How is Cooper Cup always open? Precision. He's always open. But here's the thing. He is always open when the defense knows he's going to get the ball. He is always open. He is always open when the guy selling peanuts in the third row in the stands knows he's going to get the ball. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. Somehow he's always open. So first of all, tell me as a defensive person why Cooper Cup is always open. Then tell me as an offensive person, why is DK Metcalf never open? Why can't DK Metcalf get open like Cooper Cup? When you can answer that, you have answered a big question on both sides of the ball. Why is Cooper Cup always open? Why is DK Metcalf never open like Cooper Cup? Therein lies, I think, the Seahawk problem. Why is everything so hard? Why yes. is everything so difficult? I can only answer half of that question. And Which is? Cooper Cup is open for a couple reasons. One. Isn't he a Washington guy, by the way? Yeah, Eastern Washington. No shit. Wow. Uh, deception in route running. Precision and timing in his route running. Yeah. And then lastly, he gets on one side or the other the defender. So if the defender's on my left here, mm-hmm. he usually receives the ball at its furthest distance on the right. Mm-hmm. So it's a combination of good quarterback. Which a good time. quarterback knows what to do. Yeah, yeah, throw it on the side away from the pressure. Mm-hmm. And that's how he's got sure hands. Yeah, Tra- Travis Kelsey is the same thing. There'll be guys falling all over him, and he'll have that big mitt. But I also I give this away from I the give defender. Travis Kelsey some extra point because he's just huge. Yeah. I you mean, know all he was you got to quarterback do, back in the day that doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, he did a good job on Saturday Night Live too. But but he's just such a big target. Cooper's yeah. not, but he's always a, he reminds me of um, oh when I used to watch the Denver Broncos, Ed McCaffrey. Oh yeah yeah. How is good he player. oh and people would say the same thing Steve about Largent. Steve Largent. Yeah. How yeah. is he always open? Like, you know he's getting the ball. It's third and eight. You know where the ball is going. Everybody knows where the ball is going. Tony Romo knows where the ball is going. Everyone knows where the ball is going. And yet he's open. Who, what who's is our, going on? Who's our running back? Oh, I think uh, – uh, Kenneth Walker? Yeah, I think K-Dub is – you bring I, back Richard? Oh, that's hard. You talk again. You know, one of the things I always say: the most important ability in is football, availability. availability, and he's just not available. But Kenneth Walker, I always loved Kenneth Walker because I watched him when he was at Michigan State absolutely demolish my Northwestern Wildcats. I love Travis I mean, Homer demolish too. Demolish them. I think he's, was, a, he's a fine backup back. Yeah, Travis Homer. The problem with him is he plays one role. Mm-hmm. They don't give him a second role. So you know when he's coming in, what's going to happen. He's pass blocking on third down. Yep. And once he blocks, he releases, but he's mm-hmm. still like three or four yards behind line of scrimmage. And it's yep. usually after the play is broken. Yep. So that's when he gets the ball. So then we look at the productivity. He's not gaining yards. He's a product of a system that doesn't benefit all his skill set. That's true. Mind. I mean, also, he, I think he is a, a liability of the fact that you don't have an answer at center right now. And center, yeah, ju- yeah. and center just got He's even like more complicated because you just lost Austin Blythe. He just retired. Yeah. And, so uh, now what do you do? They're talking about bringing Ethan back. <laughs> God. He played well for the Browns last year. But this is such a, this is such a, a Seattle, Washington thing, right? Is yeah, let's we, bring back players. Whoever can hike it. We'll that take. weren't really good enough to get us over the hump the first time. And maybe this time they'll be good enough. Yeah, they've matured. We, we do that all the time. We do that. That's, that's, and that's one thing you see great teams like, like 
New England, they don't do that. Once you're gone, you're gone. But we have this tendency to open the refrigerator, grab the milk, smell it, and go, whew, that milk is gone. Yeah, maybe tomorrow it'll be good. And we put it back in and close the door. And uh, see, it's a little different at my house. My mm-hmm. wife will take the milk out and go, I think this is rancid. Try it. <laughs> you just said you think it's rancid. <laughs> That's All right. Awesome. I'm going to end on this note. Did you hear that uh, Sean Kemp got arrested for I drive-by did, but, but I also hear there's there's things about it we don't uh, – that he may have been returning five. I'm, I'm not going to defend this, but I'm just Still, saying – What are you doing at the mall with, with a gun? gun your when you're, and it's – by the way, it's not like you don't stick out. Yeah, it can't be seven <laughs> hey, foot. Hey, isn't that Sean Kemp? First, like, first thing I, I – besides, you know, sending something slick and, and Billy O'Neill and a couple friends that I have from Sonic days, um, the thing that blew my mind was he was driving a Porsche. Yeah. How do you, like, fit, how, in how a, do you fit in a Porsche? I know. Like I need to make a getaway. Hold on. I got to back in. Did he actually hit anybody when he shot? I don't know. He, I don't know. He got released, um, so we'll see how it goes. I just have visions of somewhere Kevin Calabro just going, and Kemp for two! Oh, baby! And he doesn't really know why. Yeah. Sean's had some issues. Sean's had some issues. Sean, get your shit straight. You know, we believe out. in you, Sean. Reach out, man. Still some of the best basketball I've ever seen. Yeah. I'll take. I know there's Stockton to Malone. I know there's there's but you know Pippen to Pippen to Jordan, all that stuff. Uh, uh, Thomas to to Oakley, but for my money, you know GP to Kemp. GP to Kemp is some of the best basketball I've ever seen. Yeah. Oh, he throws it down the rain, man, baby. Nobody knows the voodoo that you do. Oh man, <laughs> some of the best basketball I've ever seen. I ran into Kevin Calabro, the announcer at Dicks, though. The I used to love to listen to him, man. Yeah, I wanted oh. to. Get him uh, to give me a little shout out for the podcast. Uh-huh. I got too nervous. And then Coach Uh-oh. Carl came up. He was suffering a lot from cancer. Oh, no. So thoughts go out to him. Uh, Former North Carolina Tar Heel there from my youth. Yeah, Milan, Spain coach. Too. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Yeah, big Milan fan myself. All right, Joel, I appreciate you taking the time. And hey, buddy, anytime. Showing up late because I got a flat tire. That's all right. Um, it's really good to see you and have you back. I you s- too, brother. Send all your best. To, send my best to your family. I, sh- I shall do so. And come in anytime. Talk about anything. I hope to see you more often. Yeah, you're that circle of friends that make me smarter. <laughs> good. All right. <laughs> hey, you've been listening to the Bystander Podcast. Please support us on Patreon. We are a community supported podcast here on beautiful Bainbridge Island. That's all for today. Be kind.